Good morning to each of you. Uh, next Sunday, we uh, plan to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion. And this Wednesday, we share uh, together our current walk with the Lord. And I don't know if you're aware of this. Maybe this isn't how it is for you, but uh, communion time can be very stressful. At least it is for some people uh, because they fear uh, they are not holy enough. Uh, and they fear they might be eating and drinking judgment on themselves because and I'm using the words in First Corinthians 11, because they do not discern the Lord's body. That's the term that's used. So the, the question is, how can, how can we come to uh, the Lord's Supper and how can we eat and drink worthily? And what does it mean to be in communion with Christ and others? And that question comes from 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, But before I explore that, I want us to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10 a little bit and John 6 and then uh, 1 Corinthians 11. So first, first Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, um, read like this, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Now, there there are a lot of passages in Scripture that are uh, challenging. Uh, maybe you could use the word mysterious. Um, And for various reasons, I won't go into all the reasons, but uh, one reason can be because uh, it's figurative language that is speaking of a spiritual reality. And, And it's hard, it can be hard to understand what does that really mean. So... These verses in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, there's a context for those verses. And the context is that Paul is warning the Corinthians not to be like their fathers. In the wilderness, he drank, and this is how Paul says it here, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, which was Christ. But some of them were, and the word is idolaters. 
They lusted after evil things. They committed fornication. They doubted and tested Christ. And they murmured. And all of that is in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 10. So what Paul says there is that, okay, Christ was near them. Uh, He says following them. I think sometimes in front of them. But he was, Christ was near them and available to them and was even uh, sustaining them, supplying them water from a rock and food from heaven. But none of this really impacted their soul or changed them into people who pleased God. Because it says, Paul says, and and God was not well pleased with many of them. So then these verses that I read, verses 16 and 17, there he's saying that the bread and cup of the Lord's Supper represent or speak of a person's fellowship or partnership or communion. And the word is koinonia. in which the body and blood of Christ, if, if we participate in it, we have fellowship with it. This is what the Lord's Supper represents. That we, we are participating uh, with Christ in a way that makes who he is valuable to us. But that's not what the Israelites did. He was there with them, but they didn't participate with him, fellowship with him, engage with him. And then they lived their lives in a way that was displeasing to him. So in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is calling people who partake of the bread and cup of the Lord's Supper to partake of Christ in a deeper way. A deeper way than Israel did in the wilderness to be He's calling them to be in fellowship with Christ in his death and resurrection, in his suffering. And to do this in their daily life. And also in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is emphasizing that believers who partake of the same bread and cup of the Lord's Supper, though many, and this, this is a curious phrase to me. Those who participate, though many, are one bread and one body. So he's saying, okay, you you come and you're individuals and there are many of you. But you are, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are participating. You're one body and one bread because you are partaking of that one bread. And I don't think it just means the loaf of bread, you you are participating, partaking of, in fellowship with Christ, who unites all of you. And this is a truth that Paul uses in this context, in the passage, to instruct them that they should not eat meat offered to idols if their eating would cause a brother or sister to wound their conscience, if they ate. 
meat offered to idols. So Paul is instructing those who partake of the Lord's Supper to receive and not sin against others who also partake of the Lord's Supper but cannot eat meat offered to idols with a clear conscience. So I'm just saying that in this passage, uh, Paul is emphasizing, he's using the Lord's Supper as a way to emphasize that we are one. And we partake of the one Christ, and we partake of the one loaf. Now, I, I confess, while I'm talking here, I'm thinking, this almost sounds like a communion sermon. <laughs> and John is supposed to preach that next Sunday. I have more to say that it has to do with preparing for communion. But the point that Paul the, the reason Paul uses the Lord's Supper here is is to call them to consider one another and not sin against each other by by exercising uh, flagrantly their freedoms. Like restrain yourself. Sorry about that. isn't good. It has something to do with the hour change. Forgetful. Paul Paul is admonishing them to care about one another and not uh, live uh, thoughtlessly, carelessly, uh, and I know this is a big subject. How much do you care about what other people are thinking? But this is this is what Paul is doing in this context. So the questions we can ask ourselves in relation to this passage, the questions are, am I in communion or fellowship with Jesus? The, the Israelites in the wilderness didn't seem to be. Even though he was near them, caring for them? Are we in communion or fellowship with Jesus? Do I have a love relationship with Jesus? Am I experiencing the death and the resurrection of Christ in my daily life? And am I living selfishly or unselfishly? These are questions I think that we can ask ourselves in relation to that passage. Now, uh, John 6 um, I don't have, yes, I do. I have this in your notes. Uh, the context in John 6, I'm not going to read it. Uh, I believe this is the text John will be using next Sunday. But <clears throat> the context is that John, uh, Jesus has fed 5,000 men plus women and children, which means a lot. Uh, I mean, let's say five and five is ten, if they were wives and husbands, and then children or how many? It's a lot, thousands. And he fed them with five loaves and two fishes. And the next day, the people were trying to find Jesus, and when they found him, he told them that they were looking for him, not because... 
they understood the miraculous signs when he fed them, but because they wanted more food, physical food. And then uh, they said to Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom God sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, going back to this food issue. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus responded, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father, uh, Moses did not, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. So the, the source of the bread in the Old Testament was God. And God is now giving them uh, the bread of life, Jesus himself. And then Jesus said, well, he is the bread of life who came from heaven. And the person who believes in me will neither hunger nor thirst. So Jesus is saying, I'm the living bread, and I came down from heaven. And the person who eats of me, this bread that came from heaven, he says, that person will live forever. And unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So now I feel like I need to say, well, I don't think this passage is talking about the Lord's Supper. I don't think it's talking about eating the Lord's Supper. Jesus is speaking about believing in him, about spiritual feasting on him, about fellowship or communion with him. And so the point I want to make here is that when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he's talking about us entering fully into his death and resurrection and his present life for us and living our life out of his life and being in daily moment-by-moment fellowship with him and receiving from him whatever he has to offer us in these moments of life, being in fellowship with him, communion with him. And that, in many ways, that that is a foundational that's a reason that we can come to the Lord's Supper and participate with uh, freedom of heart because we know then if we know that we have been in this kind of fellowship or communion relationship with Christ previously each day and, and we are in this love relationship with Christ that we are now participating in the Lord's Supper. And that, that symbolizes this relationship that we have with Christ. So Christ is talking here about us feasting on the life and resources of Christ as we fellowship with him, and not just in communion. And then John 15, I want to talk a little about that, and that's not in your notes. Um, 
the passage that talks about Christ is the vine and we are the branches. Uh, so what did Christ mean when he talked about believers being the branches and, imbi- and abiding in Christ? When he said, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So Christ is saying here that life and fruit are the result of being attached to him, abiding in him or dwelling is the idea Christ is the source the source of the believer's life and and fruitfulness well these are very basic truths and I think we all know this the branches of the sobering comment here statement by Jesus is that branches that do not bear fruit are cut off And branches that bear fruit are pruned for the purpose of bearing more fruit. Now, uh, I don't know uh, how much pruning you have experienced. And maybe, uh, maybe we're not always aware that we're being pruned. Uh, Maybe sometimes when we're being pruned, uh, we think it's something else like uh, someone is giving us a hard time and they're just mean. And uh, they should not be uh, attacking us this way or whatever we think about it. So I think it's worth thinking about, well, what what constitutes uh, the Father's pruning? And I'm not here this morning to elaborate on that, but this is what this passage mentions so we are we are pruned for the purpose of bearing more fruit and we bear fruit as we abide or dwell in Christ as we fellowship with Christ as we feast on Christ as we draw our strength from Christ so the instruction in this passage that the Father takes away the branches that don't bear fruit and prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they bear more fruit, uh, this teaches us that we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's pruning, that we need to live in an attitude of humility and repentance, that we always need to rely on the forgiveness and mercy of God Uh, Because we are always needy, and this pruning is probably going on a lot, if we would pay attention to it and benefit from it. Uh, Then I want to say that I I do think that um, at communion time, uh, rather, rather than us thinking the way we do sometimes, I think, that oh my, this is this is just a stressful time, 
And and I don't know if it's God or the devil, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. I don't know what it is. It's beating up on me every communion time. Uh, maybe it would be more helpful if we could think, well, this is an opportunity uh, to consider. Uh, maybe this is a pruning time. And... And most certainly, if it's a pruning time, it's also an opportunity to repent. And the pruning and repenting most certainly will will call us to a dependence on Christ for forgiveness. And, and that is a large part of the lesson in the Lord's Supper is that we become we come to God uh, on the basis of the death and resurrection of Christ, and that's what we're celebrating in the Lord's Supper. So, <clears throat> it's okay to be wrong. It's okay not to be right. It's okay. My almost said something that is going to sound like heresy. Okay, I started to say it's okay to sin. I don't mean it's okay to sin. I mean it's not the end of the world. I mean there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness for failure. There's not a single person here that is able to get everything right every day, day after day. It is impossible. And that doesn't mean that we don't care or that we're indifferent. It means we, we can repent. And we can come to Christ and we can, we can receive the value of his death and resurrection for us. And that is what the Lord's Supper speaks of and reminds us of. So 1 Corinthians 11 now, uh, 27 to 29. I'll read the verses first. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So first of all, the context for these verses. Uh, The last part of 1 Corinthians 11 deals with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and the, the Lord's Supper, the ceremony. Um, it captures and forces us to reflect on the meaning of salvation and the meaning of the church and the work, the meaning of the work, the death of Christ and his resurrection. It forces us to think about these things. And so Paul begins the section by saying that he cannot praise them because of the way they come together for the Lord's Supper. Something is out of order. And he says they have factions among them. There is fighting in parties. Parties, I don't mean celebrations, but different groups in their corners. And they don't wait for each other during their 
love feast prior to the Lord's Supper. That is, they disrespect each other. They don't share with each other uh, their food. Uh, some of them were uh, eating a lot, and those who had less had nothing to eat because there was no sharing. So their conduct there emphasized uh, the differences between groups of people, the haves and the have-nots, apparently. And these, Paul says, these sins are expressed of all places at communion time, the time when most certainly we should uh, be more holy than that because of what we're celebrating. And Paul says that these sins prove that they are not eating in remembrance of Christ and that they are not discerning the Lord's body, the meaning of Christ's death and resurrection. They are not properly discerning or evaluating what Christ did in his body of flesh to deliver them from these sins. And they are not properly evaluating their responsibility toward other believers. So how does a person examine himself? And what what is it that a person is examining? And verses 28 and 29 uh, tell us, to examine ourselves, to determine whether we discern Christ's body. And the purpose of this self-examination is to determine whether we properly comprehend the value of Christ's body or properly comprehend what Christ did in his body on the cross and in his death, that he suffered and died uh, for us to deliver us from these kinds of sins. And what Christ did in his body is bear our sins to the cross. And in order to do that, he had to surrender. He had to surrender his rights and abandon himself to the will of the Father, which he wholeheartedly embraced. And this this is the call to us. It's the call Paul is making to the Corinthians. So what is it that a person is examining? So we we are evaluating whether, uh, to go back to the pruning figure of speech, we are evaluating whether the Holy Spirit would like to do some pruning so we can produce more fruit. We We are humbly evaluating whether there is need for repentance. And if there is, again, this is not a disaster. It's okay. Because because God is ready and willing to forgive. We are evaluating whether we are depending on the forgiveness of Christ uh, that he offers us for our sins whether we are discerning the value of Christ's work for us in his body, the value of his death in his body and his resurrection. 
So how can we eat unworthily? And then I want to talk a little bit about how we can eat worthily. So we can eat unworthily by failing to observe communion meaningfully. We can be more concerned about the ceremony than we are the person of Christ. We can be more concerned with going through the ritualistic motions than understanding the reason for doing it. And and I'll just insert this, that uh, those of us who have responsibility uh, to serve the Lord's Supper uh, sometimes can be uh, so focused on getting this thing right and not doing anything embarrassing that that it's hard to enjoy what it is that we're doing. and and I'm just saying, well, that's not that's not really helpful either for us or for anybody. So, so this thing of focusing on the ceremony and the rituals, the ritual of it, that's not really uh, shouldn't be the goal. Superficial ceremony and irreverence can prevent us from personally experiencing communion with Christ during the Lord's Supper. So another way, we can eat unworthily by assuming communion can save us. Now, I don't think we're in this camp, but I know people who are, who who, uh, think that there is saving value in just eating or drinking. As if, as if, the grace of God is present in the bread or in the wine, juice. Uh, some people think that communion imparts saving grace and frees them from the guilt of past sins. And instead, I believe communion reminds us of, reminds us of our sinfulness and of our need to depend on Christ. And it offers us the privilege to acknowledge our sin and to renew our commitment and fellowship with Christ. We can eat unworthily by refusing to confess and repent of known sin in our lives. And and I'm not talking here about getting in some high-level have mercy on me. I'm not talking about us getting into some high-level focus in which we beat everything to death all this week in order to figure out if there's any, any possibility. I'm not talking about that. I think, I think if the Holy Spirit wants to show us something, the Holy Spirit can do that in a gentlemanly way without destroying us. We can eat unworthily by trying to be worthy based on human perfection instead of acknowledging personal need and trusting in Christ to redeem. We can eat unworthily by treating Christ's unique life and death as something common, like it's insignificant and doesn't matter, it's not important. Uh, When we do this, uh, we are refusing to accept Christ's mercy and forgiveness for our failures and sins. 
And uh, these are ways I think we can eat and not discern the Lord's body. So what does it mean to discern the Lord's body? Uh, and I have four things there in the bulletin. By, by discerning Christ's presence that is symbolized in the Lord's Supper. And I believe that Christ is present with his people during communion. Not because he's present in the bread and wine, but but because he is present in the people who participate. He's also present with his people at all other times. Every moment, every day, Christ is present by the work of the Holy Spirit. But I believe in the Lord's Supper, Christ is present in a special way. Um... Second, by remembering Christ's death and resurrection. We can eat worthily as we remember Christ's death and resurrection. When we understand that we do not come into God's presence apart from the forgiveness and mercy of Christ, we come on that basis. And in communion, in the Lord's Supper, we remember Christ's broken body and shed blood that Christ bore our sins in his body to the tree, that's 2 Corinthians 5, that Christ suffered in the flesh for our sins and was quickened by the Spirit for our sins. It's 1 Peter 3. So the cup and bread remind us of Christ's shed blood and broken body, and these remind us of selflessness, of suffering, of self-sacrifice, of submission to others and God, which is humility. And third, by receiving the bread and cup as a gift, not as something we earn through human effort or human perfection. Okay. Now, I feel like I need to say something here because I'm not saying that that uh, our spiritual life does not include, I'm not saying it does not include our cooperation with God. It does. Uh, I think I want to say that I believe that God is actively working in all our cooperation with him. And we are not responding to God by ourselves, and we are not trusting by ourselves. It's not just some human thing we concoct on our own. So God God is present. The Holy Spirit is present and working in all of these responses we have and in our ability to participate with our heart, mind, feelings, who we are. So it's it's not something we earn through human effort or human perfection, but as God works in us and we respond to that. And that is something we can do or not do. It's a choice we have. And the fourth one I have is by loving one another. We, We discern the Lord's body as we love one another. 
also a few uh, summer comments here. We partake of communion worthily when we discern correctly that salvation comes to us through the Lord's body. That is, through the broken body and shed blood of Christ. We properly discern the Lord's body when we confess we are poor and needy. When we abandon ourselves completely to Christ and acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves. We partake worthily when we say, I believe, help thou my unbelief. We partake worthily when we repent of known sin, ask for forgiveness, and depend on Christ to deliver us from guilt and the practice of sin. We partake worthily when we have a long view, a long view of the redeeming work of Christ in us. By that I mean when we realize that the pruning For more fruitfulness, the growth into the image of Christ, our growth into the fullness of who Christ created us to be, the long view is the view that this is a lifelong process that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are fully committed to, more so even than we are, and fully engaged in. And so it's a call to uh, surrender to and participate in fellowship with Christ in this work that he wants to do. And the Lord's Supper, I believe, encapsulates all of this and uh, causes us into deeper fellowship with Christ uh, in this process of his redeeming work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word and and the um, mysterious truths that you present there about about your body, your own body, and the death of your body and the bearing of our sins in your own physical body to the tree and uh, surrender in death for us. And and the call that you uh, have for us to surrender ourselves to you, to trust you, and to follow you, and uh, to live a life of humility and repentance. Now, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for um, sharing a Wednesday evening and prepare our hearts for participation, uh, fellowship with you in the Lord's Supper. And thank you. Amen.